Last week on HPH, we told you all about the early life and times of the racist, delusional, wannabe rock star pimp, Charles Manson. This week we're continuing the story as we dive into Charlie's quest for fame and his simultaneous development of a cult made up of young, naive hippies. Would he become a rock and roll superstar? Or would he convince his idiot followers that they should commit multiple murders in order to cause the complete downfall of society? Grab a drink and settle in as we answer that question in this episode of 100 Proof History, titled Charles Manson, Part 2. Round, round, get around, I get around. This is 100 Proof History. We're drinking whiskey and talking history. So, grab a drink, sit back, relax, and enjoy a few laughs as the guys talk about all the horrible things people do to each other. Here are your hosts... Chris and Greg. Good afternoon, Christopher. Hello, Gregory. How are you, sir? Oh, we already talked off air, but not feeling the greatest. I know. A little sinus thing going on. Coughing and sneezing and a headache. Yeah. Can't taste anything. Can't <laughs> smell anything. <laughs> No, no, no. Those last ones aren't true. Yeah, no. He's he's doing all right, despite the fact he has a gun to his head right now. He's doing just fine. But, uh, you know, no fancy intro today, guys. No? Because, well, I've been laid up in fucking bed. <laughs> just putting naps inside of naps. I got you. I understand. We're, yeah. we're covering uh, Charlie Manson today, and speaking of Charlie, it's kind of like, um... Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, I'm like the grandparents. Yeah? That's what I've been the last couple <laughs> just of days. Just laying in bed. <laughs> just fucking laid up in bed, dude, getting bed sores. And then Wolf Dick said, hey, we're going to go talk about some history and pour some whiskey in your mouth and get up, start dancing. Like, I got the golden ticket. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm I'm having to force myself to, to drink. And, you know, since when you're sick, you're supposed to hydrate. Mm-hmm. I'm drinking, of course, clear liquors. Uh, there you go. That's all you need. Basically water. <laughs> Pretty much is. What's new with you? Uh, Well, I am also going through a tough time. I had a, a serious fall yesterday. And, you know, at my age, that's actually a huge problem. Um, <laughs> we got a new dog about a month ago now, and he's going to be a big, big dog. He's already like 50 pounds, comes up to like my hip. He's like a great Pyrenees lab mix. And we have the the top of our stairs is gated off, and then when I come down the stairs, he's excited, right? He wants to come down with me. He's like, so happy to see me. Like, just wiped my ass out, and I went tumbling down the stairs and, like, fucked up my hip somehow. Hell yeah. But I'm, like, 80% convinced that my wife put him up to it. Like, they spend a lot of time together. Like, he's obviously her favorite dog, and, like, she just he just hangs out in her office while she's doing her work-from-home stuff. And she wants me out of the picture, and the best way to do it is make it look like an accident. So I, I feel like... She's training him. Yeah. Like, I come home, and there's just like a mannequin laying at the bottom of the stairs, and the dog's digging some bacon out of its back pocket. And she's like, yes. Yes, that's how it goes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I'm also struggling, but I'm drinking to ease my pain, like I usually do. So, you know, about... Midway through this show, I'll forget all about my hip. I'll get up and do a little jig, and then I'll fuck it up a little bit more and have to call in sick to work tomorrow. It won't be the hangover. Don't, don't, you know, I'm not calling in for the hangover or, or that I'm still drunk and can't drive, you know, at six in the morning. No, 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 no. It's the, uh, it's the hip. It's not it's the hip that. Thing. Yeah. Well, today we are once again 
talking about Charles Manson in the same source as last time is going to be Manson, uh, the life and times of Charlie Manson by Jeff Ginn. And like I said, very good book. Can't recommend it enough. Uh, there's not really much more to be said about that. <sighs> to be honest, man, you know, despite being a little under the weather today, I'm just glad to be back. Yeah. You know? I'm glad to have this opportunity. It felt good getting back into the swing of things mm-hmm. last week. And it just made me feel thankful. Yeah. You know, and I actually, I have a list of people and things that I want to thank for our collective success. Oh, people and things. Okay, cool. cool, cool. So, first of all, mm-hmm. thanks to the fans. Mm-hmm. You guys are the reasons we do this. Uh, other than the like 80 other reasons that we do this, you guys <laughs> are the, the main reason. Um, I want to thank my parents. Uh, they made me. Mm-hmm. Okay. I wouldn't yeah. be here today without their help. Mm-hmm. I want to thank Luther Vandross for always being there. <laughs> okay. I'd also like to thank Gas because it helps me get around. <laughs> and who doesn't love going to different places? That's true. Right? Yep. I'd like to thank Jack in the Box for having such a large 99-cent menu. Oh, we need that. Because uh, for when you're balding on a budget, you know, and mm. it's great for dates. <laughs> but yeah. most of all... I want to thank me. Oh, okay. Because, you know, I stepped up to the plate and I was pretty sure I was going to hit at least a triple with this show. Uh-huh. I hit like eight grand slams and that's not <laughs> even possible in actual baseball. <laughs> so, uh, cheers, Chris. Oh, yeah, cheers. continued success of this show. Mm-hmm. Nobody else you want to thank, huh? No, nobody else involved in the show you want to thank? Oh, and Dan for the intro. Oh, the there it is. There. Okay, good. I didn't want him to be left out. <laughs> Oh, I'm really glad you took away Wolf Dick's robot voice right now, because he would be just fuming with you. Oh, you know, I guess I should thank you. You've made Uh, my legs and back very strong from having to constantly carry you through this fucking show. (laughs) Let's get on with it. (laughs) Like like you said, oh, it's good to be back, and I was already thinking, fuck, we need another break. I can't do this. (laughs) I can't do it. I wanted to call in sick to, I guess this is second job today, <laughs> but I was like, we just got back. I can't do that. I'd be like, that looks suspicious. He my, developed a problem over the break. <laughs> my dog pushed me down. You would say, send me the x-rays. I want to fucking see it, you motherfucking liar. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe if I was in, you know, a better mental state today and not having fucking slept the entire day away so far, I would have, but... <laughs> All right, Greg, are you ready to continue the story of one Charlie Manson? I'm just ready to go back to bed, Chris. Well, let's get this over Sooner with. Better. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, man, let's do it. When we left you last week, Charles Manson, who had spent most of his life in some form of prison, had moved to Northern California with dreams of becoming bigger than the Beatles. Which is impossible, because he's one person. Right, stupid. You would have to get so morbidly obese to be bigger than four people. <laughs> and the mysterious fifth. And he's a tiny dude already, so he can't get yeah. the height. You know, he can't get he's the... a small-statured man. Just gorging. Got this five-foot-four, 800-pound Charlie Manson, like, taking up three <laughs> rascal scooters. <laughs> and they're like, oh, shit, it's, it's 1979. John Lennon's kind of fat now. He, he gained a little weight. Like, God damn it. It's almost right. there. Let's go to the Krispy Kreme. <laughs> Fuck. He had also convinced three women, Mary Brunner, Lynette Fromm, and Ruth Ann Morehouse, to join him in his late 60s hippie sexcapades. 
And you would think he's lucky until you kind of look at pictures of these girls and you're like, mm, okay. <laughs> well, okay. <laughs> he was definitely a uh, quantity over quality man. Yeah, yeah. And no offense to those ladies. I'm, I'm sure. Oh, no, offense to them. I'm they sure they a were. a lot of crimes. They had Fucked some, up. you know, good personalities. They were funny or something, you know, play musical. I don't know. You know, there, there was something. There was something there. Totally didn't stab people to death. No, <laughs> no, 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 no. That's, that's interesting to some folks, I guess. It's also important to note that when he had met 14-year-old Ruth Ann, 32-year-old Charlie had traded her dad's piano for a Volkswagen minibus. Now, Charlie and the gang were mobile, and that would allow them to travel all over California, meeting and recruiting girls. They traveled down to L.A., where Charlie met 19-year-old Patty Krenwinkel, who they affectionately called... Big Patty, who had wolfman-like body hair due to an endocrine disorder. Like, we already mentioned that Mary, his first, yeah, uh, I guess his, what do you call him, the top bitch, or whatever, when you're dealing with the, the, the prostitution. The bottom and, bitch. Oh, she's the bottom bitch. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. God, Chris. Yeah, I'm sorry. I've never had a harem. Like you're I'm so I'm, suburban. I'm tenuously hanging on to the, the one relationship I have. If, like, I tried to convince another person to join this, like... I don't know. How, how, how long is it going to take for those face warts to clear up? <sighs> okay, well, we're done. Not as quick as the uh, genital ones, so <laughs> point in my column. Yeah. Um, and I just want to say, one is a coincidence. Mm-hmm. Two is a fetish. Right? Yeah. Now, it's unfair to, to Patty. They called her Big Patty. She wasn't a big girl. She wasn't an overweight girl or anything like that. She was a normal... Uh, I don't know why that nickname stuck. They, we'll talk about this later. They just come up with crazy ass nicknames for everybody and name their kids just the wildest fucking shit. Um, yeah. But no, you look at the pictures and she seriously like has the heaviest uh, body hair like of, out of anyone I've ever seen. Like uh, adult Serbian males don't have the arm hair that this girl had. And I, you know, she couldn't help it. But uh, I don't know. When was Nair invented? Well, we'd figure that out maybe. I mean, razors were invented a very long time ago. <laughs> yeah. So she had that alabaster skin with that woolly body hair. You know, once it reached a cert- certain length, it's just very soft. It's nice for cuddling, you know? Makes you getting up in that chest hair and you just like caress it while you're laying on his chest and he's breathing it. Um, Talk to me like I want you to. <laughs> Honey, I don't want to do that anymore. Please, baby. I just want to finish. <laughs> if I do it once, will you leave me alone about it? Oh, yes. Fine. <laughs> oh. oh, Chewy. <laughs> yeah, Star Wars fetish, you know. Oh, yeah. Ten, ten plus years before the first Star before Wars. Before it came out, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. George... Uh, Lucas is just sitting over in the corner, masturbating and taking notes at the same time. Furiously <laughs> on both ends. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Which is, you know, that's pretty impressive in of, of itself, that you can be that legible and remember it ten years later while you're also, like, vibrating your other hand up and down. Mm-hmm. You know. You gotta be ambidextrous, too. Yeah, that's impressive. That really is impressive. Actually, he didn't have to be ambidextrous because he'd sat on his offhand, and he was using that for the writing. He was stranger writing. <laughs> okay. Well, shortly after that, at a party at Hate Ashbury, Charlie met another 19-year-old girl named Susan Atkins, who was blown away 
by Charlie's butt-ass guitar-playing skills. He sensed that, like several of the other girls he had met, Susan had daddy issues. And so, he told her that she needed to break free of the bad inhibitions that were crushing her by fucking Charlie, pretending she was fucking her dad. Always worked for me. <laughs> it worked for Charlie. <laughs> no, I'm, I meant in her position that worked oh, for me. pretending it's your dad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> No, I never manipulated a woman that way, <laughs> but I manipulated my own brain. It's just like the Chewbacca thing, except you're you're laying with this girl and you're like, come on, just do it. Come on, do it. You're like, I don't want to do that. Why do we always have to do that? I don't want to do it. Call me Junior. <laughs> <laughs> okay, fine, fine. Son, you're a bitter disappointment. I expect you to make the football team. Oh! <laughs> oh, God, no! <laughs> Well, soon after he met Susan Atkins, the first woman who had joined Charlie's harem, Mary Brunner, became pregnant with his baby. In the following months, other women would join the group, and they would also get pregnant, but no one knew if those kids were Charlie's, because Charlie had begun ordering them to have sex with other men, in hopes that a dude would join the group. And of course, none of them used birth control, because Charlie said it was unnatural. Now let me shove some LSD into your mouth. Suck this paper while uh, these dudes rail you. <laughs> <laughs> well, Mary Brunner, you know, she got pregnant and her baby would be born in early 68 with the given name of Valentine Michael. It's not Pretty that crazy. Name. No, it's a solid name. Yeah. But everyone just called him Pooh Bear. <laughs> and so that was his actual fucking name was Pooh Bear. Yeah, uh, because he didn't actually have a birth certificate, so... If they called him Pooh Bear, that's his fucking name, right? Yeah. And uh, Charles Manson actually used his teeth to cut the umbilical cord. <laughs> fucking <laughs> disgusting. Yeah, that's, uh, that's old school, man. That's You read all these stories of people dying during childbirth. You're like, how did it happen? It's because the doctor couldn't remember where he put his fucking scissors that day. Like, he's checking the junk drawer, and batteries, and twist ties. Like, fuck! Ah, fuck it! And just <clears throat> gnaws on it to try and tear it open like a packet of ketchup or some shit. <laughs> Kid's got like an eight-foot belly button because he cut it way down there. <laughs> He's wearing like some spandex tights and like, oh, look at that kid's dick. He's like, no, 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 sir. Just, Wait, who's saying the, that? <laughs> you know, someone, some pervert. I don't know. <laughs> I shouldn't have said kid's dick. I should have said guy's dick. <laughs> The, in, oh. in in this joke, the guy's actually 40 wearing spandex, because he's in the 80s at this point. He's got the hairband, he's got the long, fake dick. And I'm like pretty sure it would rot off all the same. <laughs> I don't know how bodies work. Me either. I was always told it's where they cut it or how they cut it, that's how your belly button's defined. And that's why mine's got this weird angle, because yeah, the guy was in a rush, he was drunk as a fucking skunk, and he's like, I gotta get back before my wife founds out I'm gone. He's just fucking cut it this weird-ass angle, so I have a <laughs> innie slash outie. In the fall of 1967, Charlie befriended a 25-year-old dude named Brian Davis. The girls all thought of Davis as a weak, dim-witted lackey, but Davis immediately began angling to become Charlie's second-in-command. And it's funny because he goes through all these steps to try and introduce another dude into the group. Like I said earlier, he's like getting the girls pimped out, basically, like giving away free sex. So they're like, yeah, I want to hang out with Charlie. And you got to remember, all the girls he's hanging out with are teenagers. And he's a 30-something-year-old dude. He's like, man, I just want somebody in here to talk about 
monster trucks and shit, you know, drink some beers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because Seed seemed like the type of dude to want to do that. <laughs> you guys uh, watching that NFL draft? That's pretty cool, right? <laughs> you know? Who you got going first overall? (laughs) Uh, Y'all ready to start the race rides or what? (laughs) They ditched the minibus for a full-size school bus, and Charlie then told everyone that hate Ashbury was just too dangerous and moved everyone down to the safest city in late 1960s America, Los Angeles. Yeah, just a few riots. You know, just a few rides every fucking year in Los Angeles. Here and there. You know, but Northern California, that's where the danger is. <laughs> now, the real reason Charlie had moved everyone to L.A. was so he could finally try and sell his music. Shitty, 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 shitty music. I know we've stressed it a decent amount, but allow me to do it some more. It's really bad. <laughs> yeah. Because, you know, like I said last time, you only played the uh, Show Me Your Game Girl, or Look At Your Game Girl, I'm sorry. And that's his best song. And even that's pretty bad, but there are a lot of people here that, yeah, you know, I can see. I can see it working. But you listen to the rest of the album, you're like, oh my god, this is so fucking terrible. Yeah, that's the best one by far, and it's bad. Yeah. You will, of course, remember that Charlie's old cellmate, Phil Kaufman, had told him to look up at a dude, look up at a dude. Hey, Mm. while you're down there, Charlie. Hey, look at me. (laughs) Look at me. <laughs> eye contact. Eye contact. That's half of it. <laughs> I am decapitated now. <laughs> What's that mean? <laughs> yeah. You'll understand in 50 years, Charlie. <laughs> no, you will, of course, remember that his old cellmate, Phil Kaufman, had told him to look up a dude at Universal Records when he got out. Turns out that wasn't actually bullshit. Charlie got an audition with Gary Stromberg. After hearing Charlie's songs, Stromberg decided to give Charlie a three-hour audition. 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 I'm the captain now. <laughs> Pirates? Yes! <laughs> Nailed it! <laughs> Full circle in ten seconds. We did it. Well, Stromberg decided to give Charlie a three-hour audition in a studio. It was a complete fucking disaster. Charlie barely finished his songs, he kept moving all the electrical equipment so his girls could dance while they watched him play, and he screamed at the engineers. Stromberg said, I think we're going to pass for now. All Charlie heard was, for now. (laughs) He shakes his hand. Oh, I really appreciate it. I really appreciate it. (laughs) (laughs) You imagine, like, it's your big break. Someone says, hey, you know, let's say... Someone like iHeartRadio or Earwolf, they say, hey, we want to do 100 Proof History. We want to bring that show in. And we just come in there and like tell them they're doing their fucking jobs wrong. Like, do you know who the <laughs> fuck I am? Like, no. No one's ever heard of you, Charlie Manson. Oh, well, let me tell you. Look at this hairy girl. She loves me. Obviously, you should too, right? She's dancing. Why aren't you dancing, producer? It's like, well, I got to move, man, you know, these... Mixing boards, I gotta move all the switches and stuff to make sure you don't sound like shit. Oh, I don't sound like shit. I sound amazing. I'm the best singer in the history of the world. Now let's fucking do it again. He's like, okay, well, that's enough, Charlie. That's, that's mm-hmm. just a- it sounds pretty on brand for him. Yeah. Well, Charlie and his family spent a little time sleeping in their bus before finding refuge at a party house known as the Spiral Staircase. This was a place where people would just crash, play music, trip balls on LSD... 
and presumably spread as many STDs as possible. Here, Charlie would meet two people who would eventually play a huge role in his most famous crimes. A musician named Bobby Beausoleil and a music teacher slash meth dealer, Gary Hinman. Yeah, and this Beausoleil character and Charlie, they'd form a band called the Milky Way, but they'd break up after only a couple shows because Beausoleil was a much better guitar player, and Charlie was jealous of that. Yeah. He couldn't, like I said, he couldn't accept that shit. That he's not the best at everything. Mm-hmm. I do like that uh, Gary Hinman had the whole Breaking Bad thing done, like in the 60s. Like, I guess that's where that fucking idea was stolen from. Just out there slinging meth and teaching kids music and shit. Yeah, but Breaking Bad, he was teaching science. Chemistry, specifically. Oh. Yeah. They did change it. They mixed it up. They changed it a little bit. But it 100% came from this. (laughs) Exactly. Thank you. That four-word synopsis of Breaking Bad, (laughs) stolen from this. Yep. (laughs) <laughs> Gary Hinman had a very interesting life We just don't focus on it in this story Like he's in the desert and his brother-in-law is like Getting murdered and shit and he's like I don't know I'm sure someone will hear about this someday He's like nope <laughs> Just a side character in another story In December of 1967 Charlie loaded everyone up on the bus And headed out to the desert Magical Mystery Tour by the Beatles Had just been released after being featured On a British Christmas special which the Beatles went on wacky adventures on a bus. So you can see where he kind of got that fucking idea from, right? Hmm. Charlie made everyone listen to the album on a constant loop. And by the way, this is considered one of their very worst albums. It's not good. Like, it's a few singles that they threw on some really shitty songs. And it's just like, uh, let's just listen to this constantly, man. Just, uh punish everyone for hanging out with me. But it was the new one. Yeah, it's a brand new one, yeah. On this adventure, the gang met 14-year-old Diane Lake, whose parents actually gave her permission to travel with the noted hobo with class, Charlie Manson. This is some stellar fucking parenting, by the way. Different times. Well, she soon became his favorite sexual intercourse partner. What do you want from me? I don't know. I, I'm just looking. We're both making the, oh, that makes me uncomfortable face. You know? <laughs> <laughs> good God. And the mom and dad's like, having fun at camp, honey? Like, oh, you know I'm having fun at camp. Like, oh, God. Oh, God, I feel bad about that even just saying that. Federal pound me in the ass camp. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> Not really. It's like the prison joke from last episode. Yeah, but it's a 14-year-old girl. <laughs> Getting pounded uh, in the air. Different time, man. Different time. Pretty sure it was legal back then. To be fair, if you listen to most music from that era, it's about some underage girl. And so now you're like, oof, should I support this? Let's Get It On by Marvin Gaye, singing about a 15-year-old girl. Should I feel good about this song? It's a really good song. I don't know. I don't know how to feel. Don't stand so close to me, but do. <laughs> well... Despite what you may have assumed, their journeys weren't all fun and games. Charlie beat several of the women with regularity while telling them he was the only one that loved them for who they really were. It's the classic abuser cycle thing. But since he loved them as they truly were, they also all started going by nicknames. I don't like your fucking name, it's stupid. So, Mary became Mother Mary. 
Diane Lake was Snake. I don't understand that one. Clever. She had the eye patch and the thin beard. She kept talking about escaping from Manhattan and L.A. Mm-hmm. Snake Pliskin. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, oh I'm sure our listeners will get that. Uh, Ruth Ann became... Ooh-weesh! Can you imagine having to say that every time you see somebody? Especially if you're mad at them. <laughs> Ooh-weesh! God damn it! It becomes Ooh-Elizabeth-weesh. Because you gotta throw in the middle <laughs> name. Ooh-weesh! Will you pass me those potatoes, please? God damn it. Apparently that was the noise all the guys made when they saw her. And really, it was like, you know, we've talked about before, like, okay, you're, you're deployed hot. You're, you're a deployed mm-hmm. tin, but, you know, I don't know. Desert queen, baby. Yeah. Anyway, Lynn Fromm would become known as Squeaky. And Charlie, you know, he kept it simple. He just went by Charlie. Or Jesus Christ. You know, one of the other. Well, another fun exercise they did was uh, finding food. Oh, yeah. For the most part, they'd dig through dumpsters and scavenge, but occasionally Charlie would order the girls to give stock boys blowjobs in exchange for milk and meat. <laughs> girls, we can't live, keep living off these expired Twizzlers we keep finding in the dumpsters. You gotta do something else, man. You gotta, you gotta open your <laughs> mind and open your mouth and, you know, get down on those knees and start praying to Jesus Christ Charlie <laughs> that you're gonna get this right, you know? Cause you're gonna, just, just blow them. Just give them the head so we can get a head of lettuce. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Just... Oh, look at you. Ooh-weesh. <laughs> I like your game, girl. <laughs> no, 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 no. Not ooh-weesh. Give me the one with the hairy arms. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, he's watching at this point. Uh, okay, gotcha. Them with these stock. <laughs> he's got his guitar and he's playing like the three chords he knows off tune <laughs> and out of sync with the beat. Yep. Sometime in the spring of 68, Big Patty and a newcomer named Ella Joe went hitchhiking in L.A. As soon as they stuck out their thumbs, a nice looking man pulled up in his convertible and said he'd give them a ride, but asked if they wanted to go to his place. For some milk and cookies first. <laughs> yes, you girls look lost. You want some milk and cookies? <laughs> but not a joke. No, he gave them milk and cookies. It's just yeah. like the guy who uh, hit on... Wasn't a euphemism. Charlie's mom is like, take you guys to get some cheese. <laughs> oh, sorry, I forgot to mention. Dun, dun, dun. The crackers. Oh. <laughs> Oh, it is actually cheese and crackers, okay. Yeah, he's just like opened up a Ziploc bag of Mexican blend, and he's like dropping it in their mouths, like, oh, yes, God. (laughs) Well, this time, the man was Dennis Wilson, the very shitty drummer for the Beach Boys, who I also consider to be very shitty. I don't enjoy the Beach Boys. We've uh, talked about that off air. Not my favorite band. Kind of a whip for me. But, uh... You know, he was not a good drummer. They actually used a studio drummer on all their albums. He was just a live drummer where everything sounded like shit anyway, so no one really cared. But uh, he got to pal around because his brother ran the band. Music history, Greg. You're welcome. Thank you. (sighs) That's going to get you laid, fellas. We can bring that up. Naturally, at a bar. I don't know. I'm not a big fan of the Beach Boys. Mm Mm-mm. More a fan of the beach men. <laughs> Oiled up beach men. Yeah. And ladies. Yes, yes. Does not discriminate. 
But they have to be real muscly. You just go to the... Uh... Yeah, and they have to have a penis. Oh, yeah. <laughs> be a lady with a penis. It has to be oiled up, too. You know, at first. You know, once we get going, we'll see. Oh, yeah. I want to that dry skin. <laughs> Ugh. I want to see myself in it. <laughs> see myself with the big old boner. <laughs> It's like looking at a doorknob. It's all bent around the edge, you know. <laughs> Makes it look huge. <laughs> yeah. It's like an MC Escher drawing as you're reaching out for it. <laughs> well, the Beach Boys had been immensely popular in the early 60s, but had begun to fade out of relevance with the changing times and with lead singer Brian Wilson losing his goddamn mind. Dennis was busy doing two things looking for a way to prove he was musically talented, and desperately seeking a new guru to follow. So when Pat and Ella Joe sat down for literal milk and cookies, as we said, they began to tell Dennis about Charlie, and he was definitely interested in what they had to say. Crosses his legs. I'm listening, I'm listening. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Rubs a nipple. Oh, <laughs> we've got him. We've got him, Ella Joe. <laughs> They're like sitting there like, what if we told you you could be your own boss? And make twenty grand a month. <laughs> that multi-level cult marketing. <laughs> yeah. All you gotta do is take these shitty songs and push them off to the Beach Boys, where they'll be like, "Ooh, we want to hear this. Let's make this." You just gotta get six Beach Boys under you. You'll be the top Beach Boy. Get the six under you. You make all the money. Look at me. I drive a convertible. He's like, "Well, I already fucking drive a convertible." You were walking. What the fuck are you talking about? Nah, you. You're a bad salesman, Chris. <laughs> I am a terrible you, salesman. You have so many Beach Boys under you. You'll be the fucking king of the beach. You want that, don't you, Wilson? Come on, Wilson. I know you can fucking see it. I know you can fucking taste it. Take what is yours. <laughs> Do it. Okay, ladies. No, no, not that. <laughs> ladies, why don't you oil up your cock so I can see my hands in them? That's not what we're talking about. Oh, no, no. No, no. Talk about music, Wilson, Mr. Wilson. <laughs> I'm going to turn into a beach ball, go away on a deserted island with Tom Hanks. <laughs> I'll show you girls. Okay, Wilson. <laughs> ah, I get it. <laughs> Watch me stuff my ass with a straw. Then you'll understand the reference. <laughs> you put this bloody handprint on my face. <laughs> You know, you two are really dumb for not having seen a movie that would come out in 45 years. <laughs> Fucking idiots. But I like your hairy arms. And you, Ella Joe, who the last time we'll ever hear about you in this fucking story, you're a side character. Get out of here. Just like pushed her face out of the frame. <laughs> well, what happened next depends on who you ask. Charlie says he then met Dennis at a freakout party where the two shared a joint and Dennis invited Charlie to stay at his L.A. mansion. And I'm just not cool enough to know what a freak-out party actually is. Like, I, I know it's like a 60s thing, but, like, even now, I feel like I'm way too lame to even understand the ref. Hey, we had a freak-out party, man, and I gave him, we did a joint together, and, you know, then he started talking about God, and I'm like, I'm God, and we're all God, and now we're gonna fuck like God. And he's like, man, you should go over to my house. We should hang out sometime. <laughs> <laughs> Which makes me think Dennis Wilson's just like me. And just as soon as he gets drunk or I don't ever get high, I'll be honest. As soon as I get like really drunk, I start making plans 
like with people I just barely fucking know. Like, hey, uh, we should go camping together. <laughs> Extremely handsome guy I just met at the bar. <laughs> <laughs> no real talk. I did. Uh, as we do that, you did what you just said. No, no, no. <laughs> oh, 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 oh. <laughs> no, uh, we we were on a another podcast here recently, and I got extremely drunk. And one of the guys on that podcast is like, hey, Dwight Yoakam's in town. We should go see Dwight Yoakam. He's talking to his girlfriend on the phone. I'm like, I want to see Dwight Yoakam. I don't like Dwight Yoakam. Like, I'm not a country guy. But I immediately called my wife. I'm like, I would love to see Dwight Yoakam with you, baby. She's like, who the fuck is this? What what is what number are you calling from? Who are you? Like you didn't save my number. We've been married for this long. You don't know. Oh, no, you blocked the last one, so I have to get a burner phone. Baby. <laughs> Please take me back. Please go Dwight see Dwight Yoakum. <laughs> if you go with me, I promise. For once in my life, I'll make Yoakum. <laughs> I know that's an awful pun. Awful pun. Yes. Yes. Oh. Like it. I didn't think it was going to land, and then it's shaking as it comes on the the towers talking you down because the pilot's dead. <laughs> no, don't try it. No. <laughs> and it's, it's skidded a little, but it's I, a I feel fucking like- manager from a TCBY. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> in like San Bernardino County. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I can land this thing. I played video games once. <laughs> no, don't <try> No. <laughs> 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 and then it blows up. <laughs> but the air traffic controller, you get awards. And no one gives a shit about the manager of the TCBY. Like, I don't know, fucking nobody. Good. Oh. Well, after the freakout party, Dennis said he just came home after midnight one night, and all the lights were on, and Charlie and his people were inside partying their asses off. In that version, Charlie came outside, introduced himself, kissed Dennis's feet, and then had his girls dance around topless while Magical Mystery Tour played in the background. And Dennis was like, I fucking love a party, man. So he he's cool with it. He's like, well, everybody just crash here. I don't give a shit, man. We'll just have a good time. I'll bone all these chicks. No big deal. Yeah. Now hear what this dude has to say, I guess. So Charlie moved in and Dennis soon decided that Charlie was actually a genius. He took Charlie to Brother Records, the label owned by the Beach Boys, and introduced him, but everyone there quickly realized that Charlie knew very few guitar chords, and he smelled like the asshole of a rotting corpse. Ew. Which, I guess, I don't know. I don't know if the asshole of a rotting corpse smells worse than the rest of the body at that point. Yeah, I don't know why this guy smelled so bad. I mean, you know, he take you out on a date, you go see a movie at the drive-in as you're parked up on the hill because he can't afford the ticket, and then he's like, hey, you want some dinner? Just goes to the local McDonald's, just starts fucking rummaging through the dumpster, pulls out the fucking <laughs> half-eaten Big Mac. He's like, oh, look, they didn't finish the top button. This one's for you, baby. Shows the ladies a nice time. That's all I'm saying. I don't can understand why uh, everybody judges this guy so harshly. All right, the murders, the, the things he does later. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, you know, I was racking my brain about it. He was a racist pimp. Uh, prostituted his girls oh, to try and yeah. make it the music. Yeah, okay. I, never mind. I, yeah, I get it. Piece of shit. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, despite all that, Wilson Man, and Charlie. I'd be an awful pimp, dude. <laughs> Would you? Yeah. Because yeah. I just find like one of the girls, and I'd be like, "All right, this is how the business is going to go." But then I see her out on the first time on a street corner. I'm like, "No, baby. No, I love you. <laughs> come come <laughs> back with me. Don't do this. You don't no, need no, to do dude. this." 
No, you don't have to put on the red light. You start calling her <laughs> Roxanne. <laughs> oh, fucking uh, police? Was that the police? Yeah, it was, or was police. It Sting Solo. I think it was police. Yeah, 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 yeah. The original guy that said simping ain't easy. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> Classic simp right there. It's just all a part of your fetish. Like you're. You like degrade her so much, she like feels like she has to turn tricks, and then you want to save her. She's like, "I was a science teacher before all this started. I don't. <laughs> I abandoned my family. <laughs> you got me hooked on meth. Said I was worthless, and I need to make money for us. And now you're bringing me back from the brink. And then you get married. It's a happy story. You only you only tell the back half of that story if you saving her, right? That makes you the hero. <laughs> Not that you put her in the situation to begin with. Right. <laughs> when I first met Charlene, she was working the corner, and I said, that would not work. That will not do it. She, she starts popping like, shh, shh, shut up. Shut up. It's my speech. This is my speech at the wedding. <laughs> at the wedding. Yeah. She's like, I'm a mother of three. Look at my stretch marks. Starts pulling up her dress. Babe, you're embarrassing me. You read my fucking life. <laughs> Yeah, and somehow, like, 40 years later, they're still fucking married, right? They're the ones that worked it, it worked out for. Well, it's because she's still under the mind control, even <laughs> right. after that little outburst she's punished for, probably, in this fictional world. Every time she starts getting upset at him, he pulls out his guitar and plays the G chord and says, Look at your game, girl! The panties just drop and <laughs> solves everything. Well, it turns out that Dennis Wilson and Charlie, they continue to get along. They were both secret racists, and they confided in each other about the backward shit they couldn't tell their fans and their followers. Well, yeah, we do that all the time. <laughs> no, no. Oh, wait, no, no. I mean, no. <laughs> no. What a terrible basis for a friendship. You're like, nobody gets me, man. Like, I can't talk about all my shit-ass racist beliefs to anybody, but you, you get me. I can't figure out why nobody gets me. <laughs> right. Well, here's some really off-color comments. <laughs> yeah. I have wondered this in the past, like, how do pieces of shit find each other? And I guess a lot of it now is the internet. Like, before that, like, how did you broach that subject of, you know, I'm just a racist piece of shit. How about you? Like, you know, you're just hanging out, having a good time, and all of a sudden you say something horrible. You know, like, mm -hmm. oh, you, know, you know, I heard uh, black people got an extra muscle, helps them jump taller. You ever heard that? Like, that's the, the way in. Like, it's a positive racist stereotype, right? You gotta kind of... Uh, yeah. 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 No, it makes sense. Yeah. No, I don't understand how they do it. Uh, because I'm not a racist piece of shit, Greg. It's on record now. Ha! Can't do it. <laughs> <laughs> well, Dennis also asked for help with lyrics, and Charlie was happy to oblige, believing he was the new songwriter for the Beach Boys. He wrote new songs like Garbage Dump and Cease to Exist and told Wilson he could have them, and the music could be changed, but the lyrics had to stay exactly as Charlie had written them. Soon thereafter, Wilson introduced Charlie to a big-shot music producer named Terry Melcher. Terry, who was the son of famous actress Doris Day, knew how to keep people at an arm's length, and even though he had no problem banging Charlie's girls, he repeatedly brushed Charlie aside when he asked for an interview. Hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hell yeah. Yeah. Uh, you think well, yeah, maybe you've had sex with all these girls that hang out? Oh, no. I, I got this, little daddy. I'll talk to you later. Yeah. <laughs> what, what, why do you keep calling me little daddy? Nah, I'm just going, going little daddy. Yeah. 
ladies. Won't even make eye contact. He's just zipping up his fly and walking away as Charlie's talking to him. <laughs> Charlie even tagged along for a trip to Terry's house with Dennis, but Melter refused to let them get past the gate. Later, this distant relationship between Melcher and Charlie would lead to murder and mayhem. Now, I've repeatedly called the family a bunch of hippies, but uh, obviously I'm an idiot, because around this time that Charlie began calling his group slippies, as in oh, people uh, who, who had slipped through the cracks of society. So clever. This was an important distinction, Greg, because he began to tell everyone that an apocalypse was coming, and hippies couldn't be able to handle it. They're, t they're too passive to, oh, I love weed and LSD and listen to music and all the other stuff. That Charlie's group likes too, but uh, we're different. Uh, but his slippies would somehow thrive in the apocalypse. Meanwhile, Charlie added a couple more dudes to the roster. Dean Morehouse, the preacher father of Ruth Ann, showed up one day. Charlie got him super high on LSD, and he loved the drugs so much that he started hanging around Dennis Wilson's house, and Dennis hired him as a gardener and a handyman. This old as fuck. Dude, just hanging out there, but just loved LSD so much. You just keep banging my 14-year-old daughter. That's fine. Just got any more of that acid, man. I'm telling you, I was kind of saying it flippantly and jokingly earlier. This kind of shit was more socially acceptable than, than now, obviously. Yeah. yeah. But as far as his, his jobs around the place, mm -hmm. he worked as a gardener, but he really had no skills as far as fixing things. Right. So the title... Handyman might not mean what you think it means. Yeah. Sort of a gardener and concubine would be more accurate. <laughs> now that the TCBY manager has some experience, he just landed that just nice and clean. Just, burp, just kept going. <laughs> oh, I know how to get the yogurt. <laughs> got it another guy that joined the family was charles watson an incredibly dumb kid from a small texas town who just happened to pick up dennis wilson one day when dennis was hitchhiking wealthy ass beach boy just out fucking bumming around la he's picked up by this random nobody watson had gone to college at the university of north texas but he got hooked on drugs and dropped out he moved to L.A. where everyone in Texas was convinced he'd become a Hollywood star. He was just so handsome, so charismatic. But instead, he ended up working in a wig shop. Well, Charles Watson met Charlie and the girls and earned the oh-so-original nickname of Tex and pretty much immediately became a lackey that would do whatever Charlie asked of him. He was just happy to get high on the regular and bang all the girls. Can you blame him? I, for this part of the story, can you blame him? No, 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 For no, the later no. part of the story, you can blame <laughs> maybe, him. Maybe, maybe, uh, So that's a good place, I feel, to take a break because we're about to get into... We kind of built the family up. You kind of know the major players of the family. And now you're going to see uh, kind of the downward slide towards murder and mayhem. The dissension. Yeah. Yeah. Let's take a break. Let's have a drink. Let's, uh... I'll reconsider everything we've ever done. And uh, we'll be back. Think about those shiny beach men. Mm-hmm. 
The shiny beach ladies. Don't forget the shiny beach oh, ladies. Oh, and the shiny beach ladies with penises. Yes, thank you. Oh. <laughs> All right, I can't wait any longer. Be I'll right be back. back. All right, we are back from break. I had a couple drinks, talked to the family. They still weren't talking back, but I feel like we're kind of making headway. You know, I feel like they're they're going to crack any day now. Any day now. You'll get there. Yeah, I keep telling knock-knock jokes, and like you can see like they're trying not to laugh. You can see it. They're, they're, they're going to break. They're going to break. And then, you know, I'll be able to come downstairs again and see them in person. You know, it's just not... Uh, not on that that camera I have installed. They don't know about. Um, how was your break? <laughs> oh, uh, man, it it was pretty good. <laughs> yeah, okay, good, good. Hung good, out good. with my uh, my beach man. Mm. Oiled him up. Mm. Had a small snack, a couple drinks. Wife went and walked the dogs. <laughs> In the middle of all that, mm, she's just sorry. Right, bye, honey. Text me when you're done. I don't even need to know anymore. Just whenever. <laughs> yeah, that's about it. I mean, it was only 20 seconds ago, Chris. <laughs> that's true. So I had plenty of time to finish and recuperate before coming back <laughs> on. All right. Well, it is time once again for everyone's favorite segment. It is time for Second Half Seltzer. Second Half Seltzer. Woo! All right. And three, two, one. Dirty bitch. I'd already popped my top. I'm so sorry. (laughs) Can't help himself. Well, Greg, are you ready to tell the people the rest of this story? It's finally my time to shine. Yes. The day finally came when Dennis Wilson convinced Brothers Records to let Charlie lay down some tracks. He was invited to the recording studio in Brian Wilson's home, and once again, it went fucking terribly. Charlie only brought his guitar and went into a rage when the producer said it was out of tune. The producer said, Hey man, it's uh, pretty tense. Why don't we try this again tomorrow night? That's when Charlie pulled out a knife and threatened to stab the guy. (laughs) And when he left, Charlie was still somehow convinced that a record contract, it was in the bag, guys. It was in the bag. You you should know this. You know, we do these shows. We're like, "Ah, I don't know how it went. But, you know, in my mind, I think I'm pretty confident there was some good, there were some highs and lows. There's some things that landed, some that didn't. So, you know, outside of the me threatening to murder the shit out of him, I think it went pretty well. (laughs) (laughs) Well, beach man Dennis Wilson had finally had enough. Not only was Charlie obviously not the musical genius he thought he was, but the family had run up a $100,000 tab over the summer of 1968. So Dennis manned the fuck up, packed his bags, and left without renewing his lease, leaving his landlord to toss knife-wielding Charlie out on his ass. That's exactly how my passive-aggressive ass would do it, too. Be like, I'll see you later. I'm just not going to pay my bills. Well, luckily, good old Charlie had a backup plan. The family had discovered an old ranch in the mountains that had once been used to produce Western TV shows and movies. 
It was called the Spawn Ranch, named after its 80-year-old, nearly blind owner, George Spawn. He agreed to let the... You know what? Thinking about that sentence is kind of stupid. Yeah. Spawn Ranch, named after its 80-year-old, nearly blind owner, George Robinson. <laughs> okay. Wait, where's Spawn coming? You know what I mean? <laughs> anyway, he agreed to let the family stay there with him for as long as they worked the ranch. And as long as Lynn, Squeaky Fromm, gave him frequent trips down to good old Bone Town, California. You want to see why they call me George Robinson Spawn, girl? <laughs> Come here. <laughs> It's because I like to cuddle after we fuck. <laughs> uh, spawn, I heard a, a Swedish man call it once. <laughs> he said, would you like to spawn? <laughs> yes. Jesus. It's an accent joke. <laughs> yes, I would. <laughs> a few more people joined the group, notably Leslie Van Houten, who had been one of the girlfriends of musician Bobby Beausoleil. Her main job was to follow Charlie around and write down the song lyrics that he spat out on the fly and was prone to forget on his own. At the ranch, the nights were spent with Charlie force-feeding his followers LSD while he pretended to be Jesus and gave sermons. And quite a few of these were super sexist, with him saying women weren't good enough to control their own money and they had to be 100% subservient to men. And he also continued to play Magical Mystery Tour all the goddamn time. (laughs) Couldn't afford another album, man. It's fine. All the goddamn time. (laughs) It's also during these LSD trips, uh, Charlie demanded that all of his followers sit on the ground during his fake fucking sermons, right? Uh, But if they got too high, like they couldn't control themselves, they stood up, they started feeling the spirit and dancing and stuff, he'd just beat the shit out of them. You know, just like Jesus would. Just like, you know, good old JC, beating the shit out of people who stood up during his sermons. Or like J.J., Jim Jones. Oh, yeah, that's true. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The guys in the back can't fucking see. Ka-chow, ka-chow, just beating the fuck out of them. You guys will have to go listen to that episode if you uh, want to know the story there. I think that's a Patreon exclusive now. Oh. Yeah. What an accidental plug. <laughs> that's what I told my wife when she saw me about pants the other day. It's like, I don't know how that thing got in there. <laughs> Oh, an accidental plug. Okay. <laughs> I was walking through the house backwards. So I don't fucking know. <laughs> <laughs> well, another thing Charlie would do was walk up to his followers and start making wild facial expressions and gestures. They had to copy each other exactly, or he'd rip them a new one in front of everyone else. He also preached that all children should be raised by the community. So, when Susan gave birth to a son that they named Zizozzzadfrak. <laughs> Let me say that again for you, listener. Zizozzzadfrak. They put him in a separate house to be raised alongside Pooh Bear Manson. <laughs> Pooh Bear's like, you're the fucking weird one. <laughs> I'm sorry, what's your name, you fucking idiot? <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry, did you just have a stroke? Are you okay? Can you get medical <laughs> treatment for you? <laughs> That winter, the Beatles finally released a new album, the White Album, which was a mismatch of songs they all wrote separately because, by this point, they all pretty much hated each other. Charlie listened to it and immediately decided that it was a secret code that was predicting a massive race war. <laughs> Everybody's natural reaction, right? Right. <laughs> what? What? How would he get that, you might ask? 
Well, the song Piggies was about the entitled rich people in America. Blackbird was about the black people rising up to fight. Revolution 1 was a call to arms. Revolution 9 was the sounds of the slaughter, and Helter Skelter was the formal name for the upcoming end of society. I don't know how much Beatles our listeners have listened to, but you listen, especially like the song Blackbird, it's so like laid back and peaceful. There's literally a bird singing in the background. And it's like, how how could you listen to that and go, yep, tell you what this is about. This is about all them African-Americans coming up and saying, oh, we're, we're tired of being oppressed and just murdering all the white people. You're like, no, I don't get that from the lyrics, Charlie. He's like, well, how about you just eat this piece of paper real quick and shoves it right on your tongue? You're like, oh, yeah, thanks, Jesus. All right. <laughs> <laughs> well, at this point, Charlie began mixing Beatles with the book of Revelations from the Bible. The Beatles themselves were the angels returning to Earth, and their iron breastplates were actually their instruments. A fifth angel was Charlie, who was given the secret of a bottomless pit in the California desert where he and his followers could hide. Once Charlie and his followers were in this pit, time would basically freeze for them, allowing them to live long, long lives, or even transform into things like fairies. Mm -hmm. According to Charlie, the blacks would rise up, kill all the white people, and then they wouldn't be intelligent enough to run the world on their own. And that is exactly when Charlie would emerge from the pit to rule the world. And that might sound super crazy to you, listener, but just imagine you're always high on LSD, and you're also a complete and total fucking idiot. <laughs> now you might understand why all of his uh, followers followed him. Yeah, this is one thing that does drive me crazy. I actually have two things here. This drives me crazy because there are idiots on the internet that claim Charlie was pro-equal uh, rights or whatever. Like, he wasn't a racist. He was just there to help the, the African Americans rise up against the oppressors, all that. He thought that they were big and strong and they could fight and kill all the white people. But they were too stupid to run the world afterward and they needed another white guy to show up and tell them how to do it. And so that drives me crazy when people are like, oh, man, he was just very forward thinking. It's like, no, he was a piece of shit. He was a racist piece of shit yeah. who, who was scared Awful. of black people, but also <laughs> thought he was more intelligent. Yeah. But a big part of his helter skelter, you know, I got to we got to go to the desert and come back plan was they would steal all these dune buggies because they needed transportation. Right. And because they're basically meth heads of the 60s, like they wheeled like sh sword sheaths and holsters to the dune buggies. There's even a story where they, they put one in a side of bar to try and build it up, and it got they built it too fucking big. They couldn't get it out of the bar. Mm -hmm. So they had to, like, strip it again and then take it outside and rebuild it because they're just fucking high all the time. They don't know what the fuck they're doing. Like, stuff just sounds badass, right? Yeah, it sounds about right. Well, this whole theory about, you know, the end of days, of course that was only if his music career didn't take off. And good news, Dennis Wilson had taken Charlie's song, Cease to Exist, tweaked it to be more about girls and less about sharing the world, changed the title to Never Learn Not to Love, and had gotten it onto the B-side of a new Beach Boys single. And it's kind of funny because Charlie told him, like, don't ever fucking change any part of this. <laughs> yes, change the, <laughs> change the tune, just don't change my lyrics, man. Yeah. But it turns out that single and the B-side were both massive flops, and no one gave a shit about Never Learn Not to Love or Mr. Charles Manson. Charlie needed money, 
and so he turned to the world of drug dealing, <laughs> as we all do. Who hasn't been there, right? <laughs> you know. Guys, check out my Patreon. My, you know, we'll hook you up. Yeah, there's secret code words there. <laughs> you spend certain amounts and you get drugs. Just don't don't think horse means heroin. That that means something entirely different. It's uh No, you'll get an actual horse. That's also a fifteen hundred dollar a week pledge. <laughs> you gotta be expecting a lot of heroin for that. It's not even a good horse. It's like this just scraggly motherfucker that got kicked out of the derby because he's just wasn't worth racing, you know? Just a little piece of shit horse. But hey, it's like know. the first horse you get on Red Dead Redemption. Yeah, yeah. It's like, oh, this slow, fucking lazy piece <laughs> of shit. Oh, but it really lets us know you support the show. So we do appreciate those who have met that level of the Patreon. Thank you guys. And it's kind of drug dealing because we spend that money on drugs. <laughs> it's for ourselves. Yeah. So basically, you're the dealer, not us. <laughs> might be the dumbest bit we've ever done. We've done some it stupid might be. It, <laughs> it might shit. be. Well, back to the drug dealing thing. It turns out that bikers love coming to Spawn Ranch to have sex with the girls, especially the Swedish ones that just wanted to spawn a little bit afterwards. <laughs> uh, and so, you know, Charlie turned that into a deal with one particular gang, the Straight Satans. <laughs> Moment of silence. While we ponder... Why they were called the straight Satans. Well, it's a different Satan from the one you see in that little Nas X video. Where you're just grinding up on him. What the fuck? Come on, I man. I haven't seen the video. Get hip. Get with it. I have not. <laughs> it's, a, it's a big outrage. The Christians are upset that he's in this video grinding up on Satan. Like, giving him a fucking lap dance. Okay. And it's like, my devil is straight, god damn it. <laughs> Well, the straight Satans were dudes who had regular day jobs and families, wholesome, male-female mm-hmm. families, mm-hmm. obviously, mm-hmm. but liked to play gang member on the weekends. One who hung out all the time was a dude named Danny DiCarlo, who the ladies nicknamed Donkey Dan because of his massive, throbbing love for farm animals. Uh. And, you know, also because he had a huge weenie. <laughs> You know, it's funny is on this show, you can't tell if we made any of that up, but uh, no, he, they called him Donkey Dan because his giant fucking Yeah, dick. no, that was, that was true. That, <laughs> yeah. was, that part was true. I feel like we uh, differentiate when we're just joking, unless it's just painfully obvious. Yeah. No, if they, if they called him Donkey Dan because of his farm animal obsession, we still would have found a way to make it about his dick. Let's not lie to ourselves here and be like, oh, also, <laughs> you know what they say. About donkeys. Hmm. I don't know. I hold myself on the same pedestal as Dan Carlin, so. Oh. <laughs> Basically 100% accurate. <laughs> anyway. Quote. <laughs> on March 23rd, 1969. Sorry, I'm just evoking my best Dan Carlin. Right? <laughs> Charlie decided it was time to get his record contract from Terry Melcher, and so he decided to hop Melcher's fence and stroll up to the house on Cielo Drive. But. Wouldn't you know it? It turns out Terry had moved, and the house was now owned by director Roman Polanski and his sweet, clean pregnant wife, Sharon Tate. Yeah, pedophile director, Roman Polanski. I know, that's that's kind of the weird part of the story is like, <laughs> this happens. Yeah. It's fucking tragedy. Mm-hmm. But then later, it's like, it's like he's going to flee, flee the yeah. U.S. to avoid charges. Yeah, because he banged a 13-year-old girl. Yeah. Mm. 
kind of i don't feel so bad for him I, okay i don't it's hard it's hard right the world isn't black and white mm, no charlie thought it was yeah and the blacks would win and charlie <laughs> would rule them <laughs> so fucked up <laughs> what's wrong with charlie manson what is wrong with charlie manson greg what's wrong with this guy Ugh. nothing much what about you <laughs> that's a great question well, when Charlie found this, he was upset, but he kept trying to get in touch with Melcher, and finally on May 18th, Melcher agreed to come to the ranch to hear Charlie play. He thought Charlie's music was god-awful, but he felt bad for the kids and girls of the ranch who were living off of garbage they scavenged from dumpsters. Well, don't forget the blowies. Never discount the blowies for meat and milk and stuff. It's also very important. He underestimated these guys. That's all I'm saying. The kids? No, oh, the girls of the, yeah. oh, the girls of the ranch. <laughs> girls were of the ranch, yeah. So he gave Charlie $50, and Charlie instantly decided it was an advance on a record contract. <laughs> so stupid. Like only him, right? Yeah. 50 bucks, we hit the big time. Like earlier, <laughs> ah, we're, we're not interested for now. Yeah. Uh-oh. Oh. For now. Uh, gotcha. <laughs> Hook, line, and sinker, I got these bitches, girls. Yeah, the other time he threatens to stab him in front of it. The girls are there. They see it. It's like, oh, no, they're interested. They're, they're talking about it right now. You know, I'm a trendsetter. You know, I'm going to bring this this heat to them. You know, they're, they're not ready for They're me. not paying attention. They're just braiding what's-her-name's arm hair. <laughs> so they didn't see it. That's why they believe it. Right. You know, if we cut this off, we can make ponchos for literally everyone here. Just saying. <laughs> Yeah, actually, on June 6th, Melcher, Terry Melcher, he came back, but he brought another producer named Mike DC. He thought Mike's music was a different style. Maybe he'd be interested. Uh, Mike wasn't that interested because Charlie somehow slipped him LSD, and he had, like, a terrible acid trip and had to be, like, carried away from there. Yeah, because he was not expecting it. <laughs> right. <laughs> and, I, and I'm sure Charlie was still like, oh, man, I feel like that went pretty well. I know... He was so moved by my music, people had to carry him away. I think, I think I did pretty good, you know? He threw up, like, some chicken guts, like in Jim Jones. Oh, yeah, like, on the, on the napkin. Oh, God, I've exercised his demons. <laughs> I am Jesus Christ, I told you. <laughs> well, a short while later, Melcher let Charlie know that he wouldn't. 100% would not be giving him a contract. Mm. Charlie was pissed, but he couldn't let his followers know that he had failed. Instead, he claimed that Melcher had gone back on their agreement, and it was proof that Helter Skelter was coming soon. And remember, that's what he's, uh, he's calling the end of times based on the Beatles' White Album. And a giant race war based on a Beatles mm -hmm. album. Yeah, yeah somehow. <laughs> <laughs> and people bought it. it Whatever. It makes sense if you're a 14-year-old girl and you're high on LSD and you just want to, you know, have sex with an older dude. And maybe it adds up. I don't know. Does it? I just want to have sex with an older dude. I only qualify for one of those three. <laughs> <laughs> but I do still have my Halloween uniform from that year that uh, Hit Me Baby One More Time came out. <laughs> by Britney Spears. <laughs> the family then began doing what they called creepy crawling where they'd sneak into people's houses and rearrange their furniture just for the sake of freaking them out. Of course, you know, it's 
like a little entry drug. It soon turned into them stealing things from houses they had been to, such as Roman Polanski and Sharon Tate's house on Cielo Drive. But they still needed money, so they soon decided to steal it from a drug dealer who called himself Lotsa Papa. <laughs> when Lotsa Papa decided he wanted his money back, he threatened Charlie by claiming to be a Black Panther. This scared the shit out of Charlie, so he took a follower to Lotsa Papa's apartment, where Charlie shot the drug dealer in the chest. Oh, yeah? Pop, pop, pop of this, bitch. <laughs> yeah. Got him. He, he looks at his followers just like, what the fuck? <laughs> they were coming here to buy drugs. <laughs> he then went back to the ranch and told everyone he had killed lots of Papa and that the Black Panthers would be coming for revenge. And the weird thing was, lots of Papa was a four foot eight Chinese dude. So I don't know why he ever thought that he was a Black Panther. That is strange, Charlie. <laughs> it's not true. I'm sorry. I don't. I don't mean to lie to these people. He, he was a well. You need to come clean. Yeah, he was a very large African American man, not a four foot eight Chinese dude. <sighs> I don't feel better after coming clean. I really don't. I still <laughs> feel bad about it. <laughs> Just because of my pregnant pause and staring at you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's a joke you wanted to make. You, you know when your parents always tell you it's like you know if you just tell me the truth up front it'll be a lot better for you that's not that's not always true <laughs> <laughs> while still in need of money Charlie reached out to Bobby Beausoleil who knew where he could get a quick $1,000 turns out music teacher Gary Hinman had sold Beausoleil some pills to give to the straight Satans and they had no use for them so Beausoleil figured Hinman owed him the thousand bucks and the deal had cost him on Friday, July 25th, 1969, Beausoleil and family members Bruce Davis, Susan Atkins, and Mary Brunner drove over to Hinman's place and demanded the money back. When he refused, they called Charlie, who came over and threatened Hinman with a sword and then left. Over the next two days, they beat the shit out of Hinman, but he still refused. They again called Charlie and asked for instructions. He said, you know what to do. Probably some shitty guitar chords right behind that <laughs> and he told Beausoleil to make it look as if it had been done by the Black Panthers Beausoleil stabbed Hinman multiple times as he lay dying Beausoleil dipped his hands in Hinman's blood and used it to draw a Black Panther paw print symbol next to the words political piggy Helter Skelter had begun and it will continue next week woo Oh, we've been teasing you for so long. Two weeks of teasing next week. We'll get to those murders and the fallout and the crazy investigation and the just wild-ass times in court. But right now, Gregory, it is time for Fast Facts. Fast Fact number one. When Charlie's audition at Universal Records went to shit, Gary Stromberg was still considering him for a role in an upcoming Universal Studios movie about Jesus. Unfortunately for Charlie, the movie was shit-canned because they wanted to have a black Jesus and they wanted to use modern-day rednecks in place of Romans, and that wasn't going to fly in 1967 America. Fast Fact Number 2 At one point in their travels, Charlie came down with a mouthful of sore teeth. He went to a dentist who recommended pulling some of the teeth, 
but Charlie refused because he was afraid it might hurt his chances at landing a record deal. Fast fact number three. When the straight Satans hung out at the ranch, Charlie told his followers that he was only pretending to be racist to make the Satans feel more comfortable. But at this very same time, he was preaching to his followers that the races shouldn't mix. Fast fact number four. The gun Charlie used to shoot drug dealer Lots of Papa was a Buntline Longhorn 22 long rifle revolver. It's legend that this is the same gun that was carried by Wyatt Earp. Like pretty much everything else involving Earp, however, this was bullshit designed to sell merchandise, and he never carried a buntline. All right, we did it. We did it again. Uh, very excited for next week when we get to wrap up this story. Um, I hope you guys are enjoying this. We, we're kind of going into depth. We're doing a lot of detail, but I think it's kind of all very crucial like if you just start with what part three of this series is going to be you don't get the full picture you don't really know why what happened happened you just kind of get oh this guy's crazy and that's why he did this but uh it's very payoffy yes yeah which as you can now see i'm an english major <laughs> it's very payoffy professional podcaster talks for a living um no i hope you guys are enjoying it i hope you're excited as excited as I am, and I'm pretty excited, I'd say fair to Midland, excited about the conclusion, so I hope you're at least there. Because otherwise, you know, I'm just going to lose confidence, it's going to go soft, and I'm just going to be like, sorry, baby, I, I just didn't think you were enjoying it. We'll try again tomorrow. I think tonight's off the table. Yeah, I'm sorry. I, yeah, it's just, I, I don't like going to work, and there's, you know. Are post- you sure, Teach? <laughs> <laughs> Yes, I'm sure. <laughs> All right. Well, check us out, 100proofhistory.com, at 100proofhistory, and your social medias and such. Greg, what else? Sorry, what? Oh, nothing. I'm, I'm sorry. I, I didn't mean to. I know you got distracted there. I'm sorry. Uh, the show's over. You can go home now. Oh, but goodbye. All right. All right, well, let's get this story continued. Some terrible podcasting. Like, that doesn't even... (laughs) I'm good talking human. Continued success. (laughs) Yeah, we're back. Podcast, go. I'm going to eat some chips while you talk. Just, uh, Just ignore me. She brought you chips for dinner? That's not dinner. I asked for a snack. Oh. Like she threw some fucking bland ass tortilla chips up the stairs. <laughs> fucking catch. <laughs> These expired last month. They're a little stale. You have anything better? Like, you eat she tied them in like a Ziploc baggie to the happy anniversary balloon that you got her. <laughs> just like, well, at least I could use this for something. <laughs> Raises it up the stairs. Before that, she like in the baggie took the the roller out that you make pastry with and just smashed up all the tortilla chips and sent them upstairs. <laughs> <laughs> she also affixed a picture of her boyfriend onto the balloon <laughs> yeah. before she sent the happy anniversary balloon you got her back up picture of my dog that says next time motherfucker i won't mess around <laughs> but the family had run up a one hundred thousand dollar tab over the summer of 1968 
I was going to make a joke about imagine a year from then how many six strings that would buy. But. <laughs> I was like, I don't get oh, I get it. I get it. It took me a second. <laughs> Especially at the five and dime, Greg. Especially at the five and dime. That's right. <laughs> I mean, what's $100,000 divided by $5.10? Mm. That's five and dime right there. Fuck the five those nickels in five and dime. In the five and dime store. Why wouldn't it nickel and dime? I don't know. I don't fucking know. I feel like that's Don't ask me questions you don't know. My mom used to Wait, take me to would... Woolworth's five and dime, but I always thought it was nickel and dime. I don't know. Well, that's just how much she was renting out her mouth for. <laughs> At the Woolworths. Yeah. <laughs> Classy. You kid, go look at the candy. <laughs> I like how she talks unscrupulous. Go look at the candy. <laughs> Tell me you're happy, Daddy. <laughs> Tell me I've done a good job. <laughs> you look so pretty in your school girl outfit. <laughs>